Well, before we get into uh, reading the psalm, I'm going to read it again in its entirety. Let's pray to God. Lord, as we read your word, may you continue to uh, open our minds and our hearts that we may understand it and apply it to our lives in the way that you want it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the 143rd Psalm. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Give ear to my supplication in your faithfulness. Answer me in your righteousness. Do not enter into judgment with your servant, for no one living is righteous before you. For the enemy has pursued me, crushing my life to the ground, making me sit in darkness like those long dead. Therefore, my spirit faints within me. My heart within me is appalled. I remember the days of old. I think about all your deeds. I meditate on the works of your hands. I stretch out my hands to you. My soul thirsts for you like a parched land. Answer me quickly, O Lord. My spirit fails. Do not hide your face from me or I shall be like those who go down to the pit. Let me hear of your steadfast love in the morning for in you I put my trust. Teach me the way I should go, for to you I'll lift up my soul. Save me, O Lord, from my enemies. I have fled to you for refuge. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on a level path. For your namesake, O Lord, preserve my life. In your righteousness, bring me out of trouble. In your steadfast love, cut off my enemies and destroy all my adversaries for I am your servant. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, it's summer in Indiana, obviously, and that can mean big thunderstorms. And I don't know where you were a couple of weeks ago when the storm hit and there was news, I think around lunchtime, that there was a a tornado or high winds had touched down around the Speedway area and they were coming across kind of the center part of Indianapolis to the north side. We heard sirens go off here at church. Well, my family was at Steak and Shake for a late lunch over at 96th and Keystone, where an older gentleman came to my kids and my wife and told them, now, the worst thing you can do in a storm is panic. (laughs) So I was very glad that Claire said my kids didn't panic, although they did get to go in the back of the Steak and Shake store to make sure that they were safe, which they thought was kind of cool. So So I was thinking about what is the worst storm that you've ever been in? And one of the worst storms I was in, I was around 11 or 12 years old, about the age of my sons, Luke and Graham. And um, I was at my friend Walt Holmes' house, and we were playing wiffle ball like we did a lot in the summer. We lived close together. And we saw this storm roll in in Texas. I grew up in Dallas, and it became very dark. And I think at that time, if I remember right, there were sirens as well, and the sirens went off. My guess is Walt's parents were at work or shopping or something, and and so my parents were gone, so, but we played at each other's houses all the time. So Walt went in, and I decided instead of going into his house, I would get on my bike and ride home, which I did. Fortunately, it was only about three or four blocks, and I'm pedaling as fast as I can because the sky is getting more and more black, and the winds are blowing stronger. And I got home and went into my house and hid. I come to find out later that there was a tornado in Dallas that day, which touched down and hit and did some damage just about five miles away from where we were. But I was scared that day. It was one of the worst storms I saw. So what is the worst storm that you've been in? Did you know it was coming? Did you get caught in the middle of the storm? Where did you look to find shelter? 
And as we ask that, we might ask, what are some of the worst life storms that you've been in? Where did you look to find shelter? How did you get caught in the middle of the storm? How did you deal with the storms that life has brought to you? I know as a pastor that I can uh, sometime read the Bible kind of scholarly because I want to study it and learn from it, but uh, I want to read the Psalms with more urgency and with more passion because I think the Psalms, and especially even this Psalm today, can touch on um, how we deal with life's storms and what can we do um, to deal with those things in a godly way to bring ourselves and our prayers to God in the midst of storms. Well, David is the writer of this psalm, as he is of many of the psalms. And David had at least three reasons, and he wrote many of the psalms, at least three reasons um, why he could go to God with desperation and urgency. So as a young man, he was serving Saul, and Saul felt threatened by David as David became more and more popular and more and more powerful. And Saul eventually chased David um, away from the capital and even tried to kill him. And so we can read some of those Psalms where David is asking God to save his life out of desperation. Then later when David becomes king, we read, and these are pretty common stories, that David failed, that David failed often. And so some of David's Psalms, like Psalm 51, which we've read earlier this year here in worship, are David coming with desperation and passion, asking God for forgiveness, repenting of his sins. Then as a father, as David's kids were grown, David's kids rebelled. Now, your kids have never rebelled or been defiant, have they? I don't, I don't know about you. My, my kids haven't, of course not. But your kids probably didn't chase you out of the capital and try to take your kingdom away, which, which happened with uh, one of David's sons. So David had good reason to write with urgency and desperation as he wrote his psalm. So... For you, for me, have we been in life storms where we felt threatened as David felt threatened? Have you been in a life storm where you've had to confess where you've fallen short? And have you been in one of life storms where one of your family members has caused you struggle or pain? I know that I have. Then we all have reasons to pray the way that David prayed in Psalm 143. And if you're at a time in life, kind of like I am right now, well, I feel like I'm really being blessed when things are going well in my life. Don't forget to pray. Pray with passion, even in the good times. Pray with gratitude. Pour out your thanks for what God is doing, the good things in your life. And then look for those around you who might be praying with desperation and how you might stand in the gap for them. But let's take a look uh, for a moment about how David prayed specifically in these verses in Psalm 143. First, he says, hear me and help me in verses one through six. And uh, the Bible commentator, James Lindbergh, gave these um, sayings, hear me, help me, save me, and teach me. So what does it mean to hear me, help me? He says, don't be quiet. Let your feelings be known to God. <clears throat> David says his spirit faints within him, his heart hurts, and his soul thirsts. He wants God to hear him. He says his enemy pursues him, and his enemy is crushing his life. 
He says he's sitting in darkness and death and he cries out to God to help me. We don't know who David's enemies are, but sometimes we know who our enemies are, or the things in our lives that cause us pain. And so we can pray the way David prays. I want to pray more passionately like David does and with more sense of urgency and desperation as Courtney mentioned um, in the video. And I want to be closer to God through my prayers. And I said just a moment ago that I have a lot of reasons to be thankful and I feel really blessed in my life, but it doesn't mean that I want to get bored with life or bored with God because everything's going well. And that's a temptation that we can all fall into is to kind of get bored with our faith or not turn to God when everything's going okay. So we need to look for how we can still have emotion and passion for God. Well, recently, um, Claire and I uh, returned from an incredible trip to Normandy, France, uh, where we toured some of the famous D-Day sites and the beaches. We were there before the week before the 70th anniversary of D-Day and some of the inland battles which took place. And we traveled there with uh, Carver and Marianne McGriff that some of you know. And we went to these little towns, Gorbeville and Boucaudray and Perriers, where some of these battles took place. And it was very moving. And I thought again about how proud I am to be an American. And I was very moved and touched by that. And since the 4th of July was just two days ago, it reminded me again, as Liz prayed just a few minutes ago so beautifully, about how we can be proud to be Americans, how we can be proud of our, our freedom and our idealism as Americans and our desire, our country's desire to help other countries. And I love reading about um, our nation's history. And for most of our nation's history, we find that when other countries, especially after World War I or World War II, um, that other countries, when American soldiers came in, they were so glad to welcome them because they knew that they didn't bring oppression and that we didn't want to take their land, that our soldiers wanted to offer them freedom and even offer some of their rations or even some of their own food that they, they brought with them. So we have reason on this July 4th weekend to be passionate and to be proud to be Americans. And I know the flag means a lot to me. Flag Day was just in June and the 4th of July was recently, two days ago. It makes me feel passion for our nation. When Claire and I were in Normandy, we were at uh, the American Cemetery at Omaha Beach near the end of our trip. And it was incredibly moving to be there. The crosses were in perfect rows and the grounds were perfect. They were immaculate. We talked about how do they keep the grass so perfect and the landscaping beautiful. It was like hallowed ground. And when you walked there, you wanted to whisper and not be too loud. And so there are many flags there as well. And it kind of looks like this, the picture here, when you walk through the crosses at the American Cemetery near Omaha Beach, where nearly 10,000 American young men are buried in a foreign country to help free them from oppression. And we found on the trip that people in the Normandy region of France were so thankful and grateful still 70 years later for Americans and for the British soldiers as well and the Canadian soldiers to come in and to help free their country from Nazi oppression. It was very moving. So I have to be careful and as American, as in a proud American, not to bring worship or, or to idolize my country or our flag. But I think it reminds me 
um, that we live in a great place. But I also realize as our country, we have flaws. We have our own problems. We have our issues. All, all we have to do is watch the news every day or to read the papers to understand that we have flaws as well. But the passion and emotion I think that we can feel for our country around the 4th of July or when traveling somewhere like Normandy reminds us, can be a reminder to have that same emotion and love for God when we come to worship. You know, we come into worship um, to feel passionate and to feel grateful. And we wanna transfer the passion maybe that we might feel for our country on Independence Day into passion and love for God. You know, we may love our flag, we may love our country, but we wanna have passion and love for Christ as well. Well, this summer in the Psalms is a great reminder to feel that passion for Jesus Christ, for what he did for us, and to pray with passion as the writers of the Psalms did. You know, the Psalms are real prayers of real people long ago, and so we can feel thankful we can um, worship, we can offer our praise for God's goodness, and we can bring our emotion and our urgency and our desperation to him. And really, that's what David does here in this psalm. So again, to look at the first part of that psalm, he says, hear me and help me. He says, don't be quiet. Let your feelings be known to God. That's the example that David gives. Let your feelings be known to God. He says, his spirit faints. His heart hurts, his soul thirst. It's like he's looking for words to describe that he's longing for God. And I think when we think about who God is, God's character, and then we match that up with our feelings, our sense of our emotion, we can bring our emotions, our passion to God as well. David goes on to say, my enemy pursues me. He's crushing my life. I sit in darkness and death. He doesn't name his enemy though, and I think this is here where we can relate because instead of naming his enemy or his enemies in plural, we can think about what are the things that cause us passion or desperation or urgency in our lives. It may be a specific person that you feel pain for because of the situation they're going through. It may, may be an illness that you're facing or a loved one is facing. It may be a loss of someone so close to you. It may be uncertainty in your life in the weeks and months ahead. Where are the storms in your life? If you can identify those specifically and then take those to God with humility and passion. Well, in the second part of the Psalm, we see a slight shift from hear me and help me to save me and teach me in verses seven through 12. And David gives us some example here. He says, be, be specific in our request. Don't be afraid to ask. And this is, you know, this is in the New Testament as well. We're said, if we don't ask, we don't receive. And God says, you know, bring your request to him. Uh, tell God what, it, what you need. And so we're told here to be specific. David says, answer me quickly. Let me hear of your love. Save me. Then he says near the end of the psalm, teach me. And he says this twice in verses 8 and 8 and 10, the way I should go, teach me the way I should go and teach me to do your will. So David says, save me and teach me. He says, teach me the way I should go. When the times are the most difficult, we can get lost. And so we need to know the way to go. And those are the times I think when we can get on our knees, when God is there for us 
and pray. I know that on some of uh, my toughest days here at church, and we don't always talk about that as pastors, but on my, some of my toughest days here at church, when I felt like I didn't know what to do, I would come in, and I'm usually in the office on Tuesday through Fridays, and would come in and maybe get settled in my office and then sneak down and, and come into the sanctuary here or into the chapel, depending on how I felt that day, and just find a quiet spot and get on my knees and just pray. And oftentimes it was just, God, help me. I don't know what to do. I need you to lead me. Here's the situation. Please guide me. Tell me what to do. And those are the kinds of prayers, I think, when we pray with emotion that God hears. Because he knows your heart. You may not have to verbalize every word, but when we ask God, God, you know the situation. Here it is. Teach me. Show me. Show me the way to go. Teach me to do your will. Save me from this and help me. And when we pray those prayers with emotion, God hears our prayers and God will answer us in our time of need. So God will guide us one step at a time. And it's hard to hear sometimes, but we need to keep asking, keep listening, and pray with urgency for God to teach us. So finally then, we need to trust in God and to live for God. We understand that life at times can be desperate, but God is trustworthy. We see at the first of the psalm, at the end of the psalm, it says twice that God is righteous and faithful. He's someone that we can trust in. It says in verse 10, it says, uh, David says, O Lord, preserve my life. I like that, that verbiage there, that God is our life preserver. We can reach out to him when we need rescue, when we need saving. And to pray hard as David prays. Jesus turns a little bit. David says, save me from my enemies. Jesus says in Matthew, pray for your enemies. And that's a turn we can take as well. And then we be God's servant. We go God's way and we do God's will. What about in your life, if you're at a place kind of like I am right now, where I feel like I'm really being blessed and I don't have things in my own personal life, I might know others who are in situations where there's urgency and desperation. What can I do? Well, first we can pray for them um, with emotion and with urgency for what they're going through. And then second, we can be their friend. Um, if there's someone close to you that you know is in desperation or emotional or hurting, go to them and just be with them. Sometimes you don't need to say anything or know what the right thing to do is, but just to be with them in their time of need. On our trip to France with this tour group in Normandy for five days, we had the chance to do some of the things that we wanted to do in Paris. And Claire and I were in Paris for three days. And on our last day in Paris, Claire and I went to the Louvre and we saw some incredible art. And like many tourists, we followed the signs and the arrows to find the Mona Lisa because we thought, okay, we're in the Louvre. It's enormous, but we want to see the Mona Lisa. So there's a picture of the painting of Mona Lisa by Leonardo da Vinci. And if you've been to the Louvre, you would know it's very small. It's 20 by 30 inches, and it's on a wall, and it's in a gallery, and it's behind bulletproof glass, and there's crowds of tourists in there to see the Mona Lisa taking pictures. But if you turn around and you look on the wall back behind you, most of the way where you come in, there's a huge painting called The Wedding Feast at Cana, and it looks like this. Now... The Wedding Feast at Cana is a painting that's 21 by 32 feet. It is enormous, and it takes up this entire wall. It's the largest 
painting in the Louvre. And if you look very closely, and it's hard to see because it's not very big, but in the very center, there's Jesus kind of with a halo around him. And Mary is to his right. And the wedding feast at Cana is the story of Jesus' first miracle in the Gospel of John. And if you look down in the very lower right-hand corner, you can see a man leaning over and he's pouring out wine. wine. And we learn about that Jesus turned water into wine and there's other people pouring wine or drinking wine around there. And so why do we look at that? I thought a couple of things as we were in the Louvre. Number one, the Mona Lisa was beautiful, but it was very small and intimate and wonderful. But this wedding feast at Cana, this painting, uh, was enormous. And I thought, you know what? It's enormous because Jesus can handle so much. And in the painting, I read that there's 130 different faces in that painting. And it reminded me, Jesus can handle all of our problems. Jesus can handle crowds. He can handle the issues, the storms that you're going through in our lives. And it reminds us that Jesus can do miracles. Jesus can do miraculous things, not only in Bible times, uh, in David's life, but in your life and in my life as well. Jesus hears our prayers and he can be there for us in all of our times of need. So when you say, hear me and help me, when you say, save me and teach me, when you are desperate, Jesus is there for you. And so we need to go to him and trust him that he will be there in all of our storms, in all of our times of need.